Welcome to The Blitzcrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Tuesday, April the 25th, 2023. On this edition of The Blitzcrat, paying tribute to the one, the only, Mr. B, Harry Belafonte, who passed away today at the age of 96. Tributes and remembrances on this special edition of The Politocrat. Coming up next. Uh, Will this tremendous outburst now uh, uh, lead to a course of action, Mr. Belafonte? Uh, The now that is being spoken about is the fact that in a hundred years, finally, uh, through whatever the causes have been in history, and most of them have been because of oppression, the Negro people have uh, strongly and fully taken the bit in their teeth. They're asking absolutely no quarter from anyone. But I do say that the bulk of the interpretation of whether this thing is going to end successfully and joyously or is going to end disastrously lays very heavily with the white community, it lays very heavily with the profiteers, it lays very heavily with the vested interests, it lays very heavily with a great middle stream in this country of people who have refused to commit themselves or even have the slightest knowledge that these things have been going on. The immortal words of the now late, great, immeasurable Harry Belafonte who earlier today passed away at the age of 96. Harry Belafonte passed away from congestive heart failure in New York City, the very city in which he was born. How do you sum up a life like the one that Harry Belafonte lived? I don't know how you could possibly do that. In fact, dear listener, as I speak to you at this very moment, I'm still struggling to process the passing of one of the most impactful human beings I have ever known or heard of. When news broke this morning of the passing of the man affectionately known as Mr. B, I was numbed. I was shocked. But I was numbed. I really didn't know what to even think other than Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. And the way that the news came across the radio, it was spoken in such a way as if to be a throwaway line. You don't ever throw away lines on the legacy and the passing of someone as monumental to global history, literally, as the man I call Sahari. You don't 
offer the throwaway line that he passed away, as I heard this morning here. And I just think that something called respect is in order for someone with the largesse, the impact, the profundity, and the remarkable life that Harry Belafonte lived. As I tried to sort through my feelings about this towering figure, I really was struggling to make sense of everything, everything. I literally thought that Harry Belafonte would live forever. But I know that doesn't happen in the way that I would like it to, even though all of us, to an extent, do live forever through the memory of others and through the things that are left behind that immortalize a person. And there's no question that Harry Belafonte, 100, 200, 300 years from now, will still be remembered. He left so much for us all. And while he was here, he did so much for us all. And he helped millions of people across the world. Millions. And I began to get text messages throughout the day. I began to get people telling me about how they were feeling about Harry Belafonte, Mr. B as he's called, or as I call him once again, Sir Harry. And I really began to feel the impact of his passing. And I think it was those text messages that I got that really then centered me into a pathway or an access to really trying to make sense emotionally of the void that this incredible human being has left with his passing, with his departure, with his transitioning to becoming an ancestor. And it then dawned on me that A, it was a very sad loss, and of course it was, and I knew that, but it really dawned on me that we had just lost someone who had been around for almost 100 years on this planet, had seen so much on this planet, and who lived through, literally lived through, World War II. Certainly he lived through that. Lived through Mussolini, Hitler, lived through all kinds of people, infamous and otherwise. Lived through Malcolm X, New Paul, uh, excuse me, knew Marcus Garvey. He knew Malcolm X. He knew Dr. King. He was very close to Dr. King. He knew Eleanor Roosevelt. Knew FDR. He knew JFK. He knew so many different presidents. He knew Nelson Mandela and Winnie Mandela. This was someone who was such a transformational figure. He knew Randall Robinson. He knew Archbishop Desmond Tutu. He knew so many people. He was aware of Mobutu and Nkrumah 
and Lumumba and Medgar Evers. He knew and was aware of all these people. He had relationships with a number of people I just mentioned as I talked about. Malcolm X, Dr. King. So many people. John Lewis. Harry Belafonte was the last towering giant of a movement from really before the 1960s, the 1950s. And he was transformational because he ended up not only being such a huge figure of influence and activism in the 1950s and 60s, he also continued to do that work right up until the day he passed away, right up until today. And he was a globalist. He was somebody who wanted better for people across the globe, around the world. He got involved in movements in South America, movements on the African continent, movements across Europe, movements everywhere across the globe with the purpose of bettering people's lives, improving the lives of those who are poor, those who are less fortunate, those who are black, those who are brown, those who are of any background or hue. And not only was he inspiring people, the younger people of the day, he was continuing to do the work himself. And he was very receptive to younger people. And he mentored them as he continued to work in the activist movement. He was a consensus builder. He was someone who brought people together. He was somebody who was unshakable in his courage, his honesty. He would speak truth to power all the time. That clip that you heard was from August 28th of 1963. And that was the same day, of course, as the March on Washington for, for jobs and justice. And that was the voice of Harry Belafonte speaking about what needs to be done in this country by white people to change the conditions for everybody and end the racist system, the systemic racism that continues to throttle America and continues to really continue to make life extremely adverse, to say the very least, for black and brown people. So this was one of those kinds of days as I tried to sort through the way I felt that even though I am sad and remain that way at the moment, and it's been a really heavy day, I try to think of all the things that this man did in his life. And you really can't measure that in one life. Even with 96 years on this planet, it always seemed as if Harry Belafonte was still doing more and had some unfinished business. He was a tireless activist, a tireless humanitarian, someone who was a mentor and a teacher and a listener 
Oh, yes, we know about his days behind a microphone as a singer, entertainer, someone who was a movie actor. And we all know about the time that he hosted the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson for one week in February of a very turbulent 1968. We all know about that. You know about that. And we know that during that week, he got to speak to numerous people, including RFK, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and also his very close friend, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That was all in one week. There were so many other guests in between. But I will always, always, always remember Harry Belafonte, not for the infamous holding of the hand, infamous to some people at least, holding of the hand of, or holding the arm of Harry Belafonte, that would be one Petula clock. That's not what I remember Harry Belafonte for. And if you're hearing tributes that refer to that, I think you got the wrong kind of tribute. You got the wrong kind of tribute. What I remember Harry Belafonte for is not the Banana Boat song. It's not for the movies he did. And some of those movies were quite good. It's not for that film that he did in 1995 called White Man's Burden, where I really thought that he was the best thing about that movie. It's not... Even Black Klansman, the film he appeared in, I think one of his last, that one with Mr. Spike Lee. No, none of those movies, none of those. It was all for me about Harry Belafonte's activism. Something that he said he's had from the very beginning of his life. To be activated, to be active, even before, long before, he starred in great films like Carmen Jones alongside the one, the only Dorothy Dandridge. Carmen Jones, of course, was such a delight, such a beautiful film. And the chemistry between Belafonte and Dandridge, well, it was absolutely crackling. But again, no, nope, not the movies that he did. It was the activism. That's what I remember, and I'll always remember, Harry Belafonte for his humanitarianism and his activism, his unceasing and unquenchable thirst for justice, for peace, for anti-wardom, standing against war, and helping people have a better way of life. Harry Belafonte was a statesman. I know that that term gets thrown around and legend gets thrown around and icon gets thrown around. Yeah, he was all of those. Of course he was. But if you ever wanted to be a human being who could be as perfect as is humanly possible, you would be Harry Belafonte.
Nancy's old brother. She's a hurricane in all kinds of weather. Jump in the line, rock your body on time. Okay, I believe you. Jump in the line, rock your body on time. Jump in the line from Harry Belafonte. And yeah, that was part of the Calypso era from Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte, of course, was known for much more than his music. And everybody knows about the Banana Boat song gets played at sporting events, especially here in the United States in Major League Baseball. But it's interesting. I heard that Banana Boat song a couple of times this past weekend in the NBA playoffs. Now, that's not normally a place, the NBA playoffs or the NBA at large, where you would hear that tune. You don't really hear that song. And yet, in two games over the course of this past weekend, I heard the Banana Boat song being played. Once in New York City on Friday, and then once here in San Francisco on Sunday. So, over the course of the weekend... In two playoff games on the East Coast and then on the West Coast, you heard that song. And I openly wondered earlier today on social media whether or not that was some kind of foreshadowing about Harry Belavante. Because, as I say, you don't normally hear the Banana Boat song or any portion of it being played during an NBA game, much less a playoff game. And so there you go. It was just very interesting. But Yes, the sad news is is that Harry Belafonte passed away earlier today at the age of 96. He had congestive heart failure. And we have lost someone whose loss is immeasurable. His contribution to movement building, to the liberation of people, liberating people, that was his thing. His cause was activism. You know, everyone, again talks about the music, talks about the movies. But it's the activism that really drove Harry Belafonte and his influence stretched for generations. Literally, as I said, he was mentored by the likes of Marcus Garvey, for goodness sakes. That shows you how long ago that was, you know, and how long that we had Harry Belafonte here. We were very fortunate to have Harry Belafonte here as long as we did. He was very close with Sidney Poitier. They had a falling out at one point. Then they fell back in together. There were fallings out with members of the Dr. King family as well. That got repaired as well. One thing Harry Belafonte was, was a truth teller. And Harry Belafonte would tell you the truth. And he'd be very open and direct with you. But he always wanted to learn. It's so interesting. Someone who was 96 years of age. Someone who was an elder. Somebody who was a grand elder at 96. Always wanted to continue to learn. He never stopped learning. He never stopped asking questions. He never stopped seeking counsel from people. And especially from people who were a great deal younger than he And he always kept that sense of humor. And one of the things that strikes me about Harry Belafonte is that you can't put a price tag on all the things that he did in this world to make it a better place. And as I said earlier, he wasn't only someone who 
stayed stateside and dealt with the struggle here. He took this fight all over the world. Iraq, think about it. Venezuela, Brazil. I mean, he was all over the globe. All over the globe. On the African continent, South Africa particularly, and numerous other... I mean, Harry Belafonte never stopped fighting for human beings across the globe. And by the way, he also was the brainchild behind the We Are The World song, which I did not know. You remember that song, We Are The World, We Are The Children, We Are The Ones Who Make A Brighter Day, So Let's Start Living or Giving. There's a choice we are making. We're saving our own lives. It's true. We make a better day. Just you and me. And that that's the one that Michael Jackson had a hand in singing and all these other people. And yet it was the brainchild of Harry Belafonte. I didn't know this. Harry Belafonte, again, his impact is so far reaching that it would take really years and years to really properly document it. Honestly, he... Um, it's just outstanding, just an outstanding, top quality, top notch human being. One thing I would say to you, dear listener, I would recommend that you watch a documentary. There's two documentaries I'd recommend. One of them is entitled Sing Your Song, Sing Your Song. And that was a documentary released in 2011. It was directed by Suzanne Rostock, S-U-S-S-A-N-N-E. Second name, Rostock, R as in Rich, O, S as in Sam, T as in Top, A, C as in Cat, K as in Kick. Suzanne Rostock directed Sing Your Song. I wrote a review, by the way, of the documentary on the Popcorn Real website at popcornreel.com. And I've also retweeted that out at the Popcorn R-E-E-L on Twitter. And I just strongly recommend that you watch Sing Your Song. It's a terrific documentary. It really is. It's, a, it's really a kaleidoscopic view of Harry Belafonte and the measure of this particular man. It's just a staggering piece of work. So that's one I'd recommend. I'd also recommend a documentary which you can find on... And by the way, I don't know where you can find Sing Your Song... You can probably try to dig it up on YouTube or you have to just really do some digging. Maybe you can purchase it somewhere on Amazon or somewhere else. I hate to plug Amazon, but, you know, I don't know where you'd find it because I had a hard time trying to find it because I wanted to get that as a collector's item. I was looking for the um, site that I could get it for as a collector's item. I couldn't find that at all. So anyway, sing your song. That's the one you need to make sure you try to find that and watch that particular that particular documentary, really good one. And also a documentary you can actually find on Peacock, whether that's on online, on the app, or on your TV, Peacock. The app, that streaming service, has a documentary on it called The Sit-In with Harry Belafonte, which is about Harry Belafonte sitting in for Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show for five days in February of a very turbulent 1968. That is also a must-see documentary, so please make sure you go and see that. It's a, you know, you can watch it on uh, Peacock, which is a streaming service here in the United States. Subscribe to Peacock, 
and make sure you watch that series, that particular documentary. All I think are helpful, and that one is definitely um, no exception. So that's the couple of things I want to recommend, and also the book, the memoir that uh, Harry Belafonte wrote, which I really do urge you to pick up. Um, it's a it's a memoir that I think, you know, you really should read. I really do recommend it. And I didn't even mention what the memoir was. <laughs> the memoir is called My Song. And it I see two different editions of it. One of them is an edition of a much younger Harry Belafonte. And another one is an edition, of the cover at least, of an older Harry Belafonte. And the subtitle is A Memoir of Art, Race and Defiance. That's My Song, Harry Belafonte with Michael Schneerson. S-C-H-N-A-Y-E-R-S-O-N. My Song by Harry Belafonte with Michael Schneerson. And the subtitle, A Memoir of Art, Race and Defiance. So that book is available wherever you get books from. And I um, cannot wait to read it. Um, You know, Harry Belafonte, you just can't put uh, any kind of real measuring stick rather on just how much he meant to so many people. He loved black people. He cared about black people. He cared about all kinds of people and he sought justice and human rights for all sorts of people. So he really was a tremendous ambassador to the human spirit and to the human cause. Dear listener, I want to, I mean, there's so much to cover with Harry Belafonte. Um, but I, I tell you, I, I want you to listen to this 2018 interview done by PBS NewsHour and Charlene Hunter-Galt, the longtime PBS uh, anchor and reporter. And she got the chance to sit down with Harry Belafonte in 2018, as I said. And the conversation is around Harry Belafonte's close friend, very close friend, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And here is how the next seven minutes and change went in terms of Charlene Hunter Gold interviewing Harry Belafonte. He was coming to New York to speak to the religious community, the ecumenical community at the Abyssinian Baptist Church. And as a young black artist on the rise, uh, I had begun to make a bit of a noise on my own terms. Uh, I began to violate uh, the, uh, uh, the codes of uh, racial separation. Uh, I understood the evils of racism and rebelled for my youth. He was 24, I was 26, mm. and uh, I listened to him. And I was just absolutely struck with uh, the way in which he presented his case to the black religious community, condemning them for being uh, not more engaged in the social destiny of black people. Really? Yeah. uh, That must have gone over big. It went over very big. (laughs) Got me. (laughs) That was very big. Uh, What, What do you remember the most about him? His intellect. I didn't quite understand how a man just 24 years old, already with a PhD, 
uh, from the university and uh, uh, seemed to have put together this view of, of black life in a way that was most contentious and most rebellious against the system. And when he said he wanted to meet with me, I said, yeah, I would love to meet you. Both of us are sitting in the basement of the Abyssinia Baptist Church. He sat at the table after he'd spoken to the uh, religious leaders, and uh, that was the beginning of our relationship. What he said would take about 20 minutes, took almost four hours. Oh, my. What made him such a special person, you think? Divine intervention, because I think that the, the course that he set for himself became most antagonistic to many members of the black church, his father included. Uh, Daddy King didn't like making all this uh, trouble with white folks. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, Martin, knowing that that would uh, be somewhat uh, challenging to his father, stepped in there anyway and he said, I've got to do this. He was very concerned that in choosing him to be the leader of the movement, that he might be leading people into harm's way. Uh, he said, I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. I don't know what to do. So he had his doubts? Grave doubts uh, as to his qualifications. Hmm. He was willing to be patient. He was willing to take on the responsibility because he had a vision eventually for what he thought he might be able to achieve. Uh, he was, wasn't too sure about it. He was very much in conflict with what that might lead to. And he also had a family at that time. Did he have conflicts there about yes. being away from them so yes. much? He did not understand how daunting all of this would have become. He saw it really as something to which there would be a commitment for a year or two to straighten out this thing on riding on the bus and segregation laws, and that that could be uh, dealt with in, in, in short order if there was enough power behind his leadership. But when he got into it, it turned out to be much more than that, because once he got into the idea of ending segregation, he then had to talk about poverty. He then had to talk about housing in the South. Dr. King went down and established a relationship with the garbage workers, but then found out that uh, uh, their plight was part of a much bigger canvas and that uh, th he had to take on the plight of all poor people. Black or white? Or black or white. Or any color. All caught up in the, mm -hmm. in the, in the unjust s economic system. Now, in his To the Mountaintop speech, which of course was his last, And I've seen the promised land. He spoke then that was 1968, of how the nation was sick. He said, trouble in the land, confusion all around. And yet he remained hopeful because he said at that time, only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. What, what enabled him to stay hopeful? And you too. His moral, his moral sense of justice. He just really felt that what he was doing was morally correct. What do you think he would be working on today? Well, if Dr. King had lived, there would be no today as we know it. His impact on universal order, his impact on the globe, his impact on the world had taken on such a humongous power 
that uh, he was shaping human history. Because he said we are all wrapped in a single garment of destiny. Exactly. That there's no way out of this. Uh, Y'all can do what you want to do, but I'm going to have to wrestle with the fact that there, there ain't nothing you can do but deal with it. Okay, so what do you think it will take today to make his dream of the beloved community a reality? Until white America uh, regains or even decides to identify a moral course of, of history, I don't think anything is going to happen. I think America will self-destruct. But the civil rights movement was black and white together. Yeah. That's not in the case anymore? That's the case, but it's not the fact. The case is that we have to fix it. The fact is that uh, uh, it's, it's not fixable if white folks don't decide to change their course of conduct. The only thing left for black people to do is to burn it down. We've been lynched, we've been murdered, and if you look around, uh, never before in my 91 years of history as an American, have I ever seen the nation more racially divisive than it is at this very moment, including the days of the Ku Klux Klan and the segregation laws of the South. Well, do you have any hope from the young people who have now, after the tragedy in Florida, who have taken to the streets and have taken to the Capitol and are saying that they are going to continue do you get any hope from them? Yes, I get a great hope from them. But I've always gotten great hope from young people. It's always young people who are in the forefront. Dr. King was 24, for God's sakes. That's a young person. He's not, he's not a kid. But all, all around him were these young men who were 18 and 19 and 20. So it may be a well, moment of passing people. the baton. Are you ready for that? Yes, we've been ready for it. Well, Harry Belafonte, thank you for joining us. Well, what are you going to do with the baton? Good question. That was Harry Belafonte in 2018 with Charlene Hunter-Gold, who seemed surprised about the things that Harry Belafonte was telling her about her, about his close friend, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm surprised that Charlene Hunter-Gold would be surprised. But she was, and the bottom line is, is that Harry Belafonte spoke truth to power. You heard him talking there about the problems of racism in this country. And he talked about white people's role in that. And, you know, that was Harry. I played you a clip earlier from the very start that Harry was talking about this in 1963. Now, you know, talking 60 years later. You know, and uh, the same refrain. Well... Harry Belafonte is no longer with us to give that refrain. He touched everyone. He was a statesman, an activist, a warrior, a hero, a father, a husband. He was an activist, an actor, a singer, a humanitarian. He really touched the lives of so many countless millions of people. He really did. And how do you measure a man? How do you measure a woman? How do you measure a life? You just tip your hat and say that you appreciated everything that they did while they were here. And that is very true for me as far as Harry Belafonte was concerned. Harry Belafonte. 
they will be tributes to him and many more tributes. And I urge you to watch, by the way, Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. A tribute on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at sign Roland S. Martin. Um, that tribute is a really good one on Harry Belafonte. I urge that you watch it. It's uh, the episode from Tuesday, April the 25th, which would be today. Um, phenomenal tribute. And there'll be more tributes to and celebrations of the life of Harry Belafonte coming up in the next few days on youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. So there we go. I want to tell you that it's been an honor to have you aboard in this very solemn day, this very special occasion, uh, at least for this episode. It's a special event episode. The, uh, of course, what happened today was awful. Um, and just very, very sorry to see that uh, Harry Belafonte is not here. It is definitely a, a special edition of the Political Daily Podcast. And, you know, it's a very sad day as well. Very sad indeed. Very heavy day here. So, dear listener, I do appreciate you very much. Do not forget to follow yours truly on Twitter at the popcorn R-E-E-L. And don't forget also to go to the podcast as well at Apple, Spotify, Google, numerous other podcasting platforms as well for the Politocrat Daily Podcast. Harry Belafonte, rest in power, sir. What you brought to this world and what you gave this world and what you left with this world are all priceless things, immeasurable things. And your soul and your decency and your heart always, always were in the right place. And I wish you God speed. Rest easy, sir. Mr. B, thank you very much for everything. May you rest in eternal peace. And that's all for this edition of The Politocrat. Be safe and be well. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. Uh, the now that is being spoken about is the fact that in a hundred years, finally, uh, through whatever the causes have been in history, and most of them have been because of oppression, the Negro people have uh, strongly and fully taken the bit in their teeth. They're asking absolutely no quarter from anyone. But I do say that the bulk of the interpretation of whether this thing is going to end successfully and joyously or is going to end disastrously lays very heavily with the white community. It lays very heavily with the profiteers. It lays very heavily with the vested interests. It lays very heavily with a great middle stream in this country of people who have refused to commit themselves or even have the slightest knowledge that these things have been going on.